Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to make disciples who honor God, love people, and impact the world. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's today's podcast. We started a new sermon series last week called When Pigs Fly. And the basic gist of this is we're talking about miracles. And why when pigs fly? Well, you guys have probably had a conversation with somebody when this concept or idea of miracles and God doing miraculous things today like he did in the scriptures. And people oftentimes just kind of have a skeptical or cynical response to it. Kind of like that, like when pigs fly. Like you don't know how many times I will share with somebody like, oh, well, how do you know God's real? Like, let me tell you this story. I saw this. This one time I prayed for this person, and this happened. They're like, <laughs> right. Are you sure that maybe they were just not faking? You know, like that whole skeptical response. And so I think that um, this way of portraying is, oh, yeah, when pigs fly, um, really identifies how our society views this topic um, and how we need to, like, understand that so that we can combat that, bring truth, bring scripture, bring hope, and actually pray for, believe for, and anticipate God to do miraculous things in and through us. Amen? So that's, that's what we're looking at. Last week, we talked about God's power over the forces of darkness. We talked about demons and, and deliverance and how God, through authority in the name of Jesus, brings us freedom from these forces of darkness, quoting Ephesians 6.12. Um, and then we have our camping trip next week, so there's a week off. But after that, we're going to talk about how God has the power to protect. And then the fourth week, we're going to finish it all up with looking at a God who miraculously provides for his people. And you get to hear from none other than Matthew Klein for that week. And so some of us will be gone at the World Conference in Orlando. But today what I want to do is I want to talk about something that I believe has the potential to really build our faith. Has the potential to really build our faith. Um, That we can literally see miracles from God today. We're going to talk about miracles of healing. A God who heals. A God who can literally do things right before your eyes. And as soon as I say that, I recognize that there is a vast range of emotions and experiences that just bubble to the top. We're going to address those, okay? There there should be, because we've all seen this work out, play out different ways. Maybe you've been in a scenario where you just think of miracles and healing and praying for healing as weird. Maybe you feel like you've just been let down a lot. Maybe you've seen some amazing things in the hand of God on people healing the sick. We're going to cover that today, but we do at Grace City, we believe that God still does it. We believe that it's happened in our midst, um, and we believe and anticipate him to continue to do that in the future. So um, I absolutely, 100% believe that God does and desires to continue to, to heal people. And you look all throughout Scripture, the Old Testament, miracle after miracle of healing. In the New Testament, there's at least 30 different miracles where Jesus helped people that were sick in their body, bodily healing. And it's implied that there are hundreds and hundreds more miracles of healing in the New Testament. Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He made lame to walk. He raised the dead. You want to talk about a weird experience, right? Witnessing that. He raised the dead. If you look at the book of Acts, there was a time when the Apostle Paul was preaching. Now, this is a really funny story to me um, because I preach a few times a year. And he preached so long that Luke said he went on and on into the night. So I'm going to read this to you, and this is going to get us started today. Acts 20, verses 7 through 12. 
On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where, where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. How many of you have ever fell, fallen asleep in the middle of a sermon? At a different church. At a different church. Somewhere else when you're visiting somewhere, of course. He went on and on and like so long that this poor dude fell asleep on the third story at a window, and he fell out. Um, now, I know I've put people to sleep with, with my messages occasionally, but I haven't killed anyone yet. And so um, let's, not, let's not experience that, right? But like, just think about this. Like, he preached so long that Luke decided, like, he preached way too long, and this poor kid falls asleep, falls to the ground, and dies. And then it's, it seems like this anxious kind of response when we read it from Paul, like, he covered him like, he's okay, he's alive. Like, that's how, when I read it the first time, like, oh my gosh, he's like trying to cover this up. Like, that's what it seems like at first. But the reality of what's happening here is he goes down and what many of the people that are exploring the scripture and the theologian sees, he laid hands on him and he prayed for him and he, he came back to life. It says that he was found to be dead and then Paul came down, interacted with him and healed him. God healed him. Now, I believe that God still has a power to heal today, and he, I, I pray that if I put somebody to sleep and they fall and get hurt, like, God will use us to heal them. Um, let's not go there, but I believe that in our midst, in a Sunday service, in a small group, at a store, at a gas station, at a park, anywhere that you find yourself in your life, that God can and desires to work through you to bring healing to people, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. He wants to redeem like the innermost broken parts of our souls, of our body. Now that's not like ultimately there's that picture, but right now, even now, I believe God wants to do these things. And my hope is that as we explore this today, it will embolden us to not just engage when the Holy Spirit impresses upon us to pray for somebody, but that it will embolden us to expect God to do some things. And that he would even use us to bring healing and restoration to his other kids. Amen. So we're, we're going to dive into this, um, this whole healing thing. And I want to start off just praying. And then we're going to jump in. we got a lot of scripture to unpack, a lot of good stuff. So let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are a miracle-working God. We thank you um, for all the ways in which we have seen you work in our lives and in others. And we thank you for what you are going to do. Holy Spirit, would, would my words be from you? Would you help them to fall on softened hearts? And would you put into context, like only you can, how to apply this in our lives as we move forward being ambassadors of the hope and freedom that is found in the name of Jesus Christ? Amen. All right. So I believe in a God that has the power to heal and that he uses his people to do so. And this is what Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 12. He said, very, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, 
And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What's one of the things that Jesus did? Healed the sick. One of the things he did that he was very notable for as he traveled around was healing the sick. And if we're going to do the same things that he did and even greater things, then we cannot like, disregard this miracle of healing that God would use us to do this. Jesus walked the earth, healed the sick, and he still does today through his people, through the faithful prayers of his people. You see, we serve a God through whom all things are possible, who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than what we can ask, that we, what we can think or imagine in our own power. He can do that within us and within his church. And so I want to start out today laying a foundation of expectation and belief and faith that we serve a big God. And while it may be hard for us to wrap our mind around like, well, how does he do that? What's the mechanism for that? Is there an equation of a certain prayer that I'm supposed to say to see this happen? Like, clear all that stuff out of the way. And let's just start with a foundation of faith, belief, and acknowledging that God is bigger than what we can understand here in our present time. He's bigger than that. The first time I ever saw a healing miracle, um, physical healing miracle, it, it caught me off guard. Um, I hadn't experienced this before. I was working at a Christian co-op in Corvallis called The Courtyard, and I was overseeing, like, I was like house pastor, house dad, house maintenance guy, house whatever, just kind of everything over this house that had uh, 50 college students living in it. Um, and one of these students, he was a non-traditional student, so he was no longer under his, like, parents' insurance, and he was playing, I can't remember if it was intramurals or just a pickup game of, like, flag football. Um, and you think, oh, flag football, that sh shouldn't be dangerous. Well, flag football, with a bunch of guys trying to prove themselves, things can happen. So this guy, like, hobbles his way back after this game to the courtyard, and his jaw is misaligned. It's like, I'm looking at him like... What's going on, man? He's like, I, got, I can't talk. He got hit in the jaw. Oh, there's a microphone there. He got hit in the jaw, and it, I, I'm not a doctor. Was it dislocated? Was it whatever? I don't know. It was messed up. It was out of place. It was causing pain. He couldn't move it. He couldn't speak, and it hurt like a son of a gun. What was, what was the diagnosis? I don't know. It was screwed up. Well, is that good enough for you guys? It was bad, okay? And he's like, I, I don't have health insurance, and he was trying to tell me all this stuff, and I'm like, okay. I'm new to this whole thing, but I believe God wants to do something right now. So what do you do? You go get the three most holy guys that you have at like your, maybe not holy, the three guys that have the most experience with this kind of thing that I know of. So I text and call three dudes. They come down. One of them brings oil. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Was he going to try to lubricate it and get it back into place? I, I didn't know what was about to happen. And he anoints him with oil and pray for him. We prayed the first time in Jesus' name, heal him. And it's like, oh. I can, it, it doesn't hurt as bad, but it was still kind of messed up. I'm like, okay, we're going to pray again. And they prayed a second time. And he's like, okay, it's, it, it feels like it's back in place. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool, I guess. Kind of weird, but cool. And they prayed a third time. And he's like, everything's good. And he went in and ate dinner. Now, there were some people in the room that night as we said, hey, we have a praise report. God did something miraculous. And people are like, oh, he's probably just faking it. You know, like that whole thing. When pigs fly. Um, but... Ultimately, like, I, I, I watched this happen. I watched this go down, and like, God healed him right there in front of my eyes. And I was like, okay, now I have to wrestle with this because I can't write it off. I don't believe he was faking. Like, I, I, I saw it, and I saw what God did through the faithful prayers of his people. 
So that, that was a cool story. We, we can talk about more, but that one, and some of you know the guy, so I didn't use his name. But fast forward to more recently then, a couple years ago, um, I heard the story of a dear friend of mine who's a pastor in another Every Nation church. And it brings, this story brings up the question, like, have you ever prayed for someone to be healed and then not see it happen? And what do you do with that? Like, yeah, there's great stories of God healing people, but it doesn't happen all the time. And I have this friend who's a pastor, and his wife had cancer. And in his services, week after week, the Holy Spirit would impart on him, hey, somebody has a slip disc or a, a dislocated knee or a broken bone, and he would call people up and he would pray for them, and people would get healed. And his wife had cancer, and week after week, he was praying, praying, praying. They had two young kids. He's praying, God, heal her. I see you do it every week. Will you heal her? And she passed away. She passed away. God did not heal her. Have you ever seen this where you just pray and petition the Lord, heal them, but he didn't do it? This is one of those things that causes this tension and questioning within us. Yeah, I believe you can do it, God, but I've prayed this many times or seen people pray for this or whatever, and, and you haven't. So how do we wrestle with that? Like God healed a guy's jaw, but he wouldn't heal this young pastor's wife, mom of two in her 30s. Like, how do we wrap our heads around that? How do we move forward with those kinds of things happening all around us? And I know you each get this because I believe each of you in here have prayed, whether you would like confess it or not, for somebody, yourself, or someone you know or love to be healed from something. And maybe it hasn't happened. So we, at, like, at a deep level, we can each relate to this feeling, maybe not to the level of pastor here, my pastor friend, but like at a deep level, like, yeah. Why? Why not? What is up with that? What gives? Sometimes when you believe God can and he doesn't, it can unsettle you. It can shake you. It can shake you. You think, where is God in this? Explain this one. I don't get it. God, I knew you could, but why does my kid still have migraine headaches all the time that are debilitating? God, I knew you could, but why does my spouse or my friend or loved one still struggle with depression? Like, I know you can, God, but why did grandma die of cancer when we were praying for her week after week? Like, I know, I believe you can, but why? And that's where it leaves us. And we don't understand, we don't get it. And a lot of people will come to a conclusion in that tension, in that moment of tension, that either God isn't good, he doesn't care, or he doesn't exist. And sometimes it leads people down that path. Well, if he is real, he obviously doesn't care about me because I've prayed for this and this and this. And I believe if we have poor theology, if we have a poor understanding of who God is, how he works, what his ultimate desire and purpose on earth is, if that is messed up, then we can fall on those paths where we get stuff a little wacky. And so my goal today is that we have a proper understanding of God and how he works in healings and how he doesn't sometimes. And ultimately, what his main purpose and goal here on earth is, so that this isn't a proper perspective. So when you get rocked a little and you pray and it doesn't happen, that you can stand there and say, okay... That's not going to keep me from having faith and believing and praying for that again. It's not going to have me fall off of like the wagon or fall off of believing that he can do amazing things because my faith is not rooted in this moment. It's rooted at the cross. And if we can get to that place, 
then I believe that God can use us to be good news, to build up our faith as we have the courage to pray for his power to work in people. Amen? So that's where we're headed. Spoiler alert. But how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile that he does sometimes and then other times he doesn't? You did for that person. Why not my mom? Why not my kid? Why not my spouse? Why not my... Well, how do we reconcile that? And how do we build our faith at the same time in a God who hears our prayers and does miracles? So we want to build this on a foundational thought. And this may be obvious to you from your life experiences, and it may not be obvious, um, but this is what I believe is true. We need to understand and embrace the truth that our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. Well, that seems simple, but that's foundational for this. Yes, he heals, absolutely, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. He's a God who heals, but not all the time. And like I said, we know this is true because most of us in here have experienced this. But a lot of people don't recognize or realize that this is incredibly true in people in Scripture as well. Because our minds always remember like, yeah, God healed this person. He did this. Dead person raised. Walk blind. Like all these things happen. And we remember those because they, they, like, they're paradigm shifting for us. But we don't have those little mental bookmarks for the places in the Bibles where it doesn't happen. It doesn't always happen. So I'm going to give you three quick examples of this. The first, there's this guy named Tropimus. And he's one of Apostle Paul's friends who accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. But whenever he got sick, God apparently didn't heal him. He didn't heal him. He's with the Apostle Paul on missionary journeys, okay? Like, you'd think he'd have some decent access, right? Like, his prayers would be, be heard. He didn't get healed. And we read in 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul says, God not only didn't heal him, but he left him behind. Just left him there and went about their business. God could have, but he didn't. Why? I don't know. But I trust him. I believe in him, the one that sent Jesus. And so I'm... You see what I'm saying here? We don't know, and that's okay. Same with Timothy, who apparently had some stomach issues, and Paul told his young protege in 1 Timothy 5.23 this, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illness. I never caught that before, (laughs) studying for this message. Never caught that before. In other words, God could have healed him, but God didn't. So use whatever you can to make it better. God could have but God didn't. Timothy, his name's on a couple books in the Bible, kind of an important character, right? Paul's young protege. God could have, God didn't. And then, of course, there's the Apostle Paul, who, if you know his story, had something that he calls a thorn in his side. Well, what is this proverbial thorn? I don't know. Nobody can come to agreement on this. Some of the things people think, oh, he had bad eyesight. Maybe he dealt with temptation. It could have been all different things. We don't know for sure what it was, but we do know that Paul pleaded three times And when he pleaded, it wasn't just like, oh, I was at this prayer meeting for 15 minutes and like I asked God, that was one of the things I prayed for, like pleaded like a relentless pursuit, pleading to God to remove this thorn from his side, like desperate pleading to God to take it away. God, I know you can. I've seen you do bigger things. I know you can. Please, God, like pleading. And God says, no, I could, but I'm not going to. This is Paul. He's written, like, through the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like, half of the New Testament. Again, kind of an important dude. Jesus met him on the road. Like, 
blinded him, sent him to, to Ananias and like to contextualize his encounter with Jesus, all this stuff, like how he intervened in his life. But he didn't heal him from this thorn in his side. In this case, what he's going to show Paul is that his grace is going to be enough for him. He's teaching him something. Because our, our God can and often does, but when he doesn't, what do we do with that? What do we do with a God that can heal? It doesn't always do it. And at the same time, how do we grow our faith in that and continue to ask him for miracles and not let disappointment and frustration just shut down our expectation of what God desires to do? So let's build another foundational layer here. <clears throat> let's look at three reasons why Jesus did not do miracles. We see that he often did, but again, these aren't the things we highlight. Well, why didn't he? What are some of the things that, that showed up that show us why, why he didn't? Now, in no way am I saying, listen to me, when I bring up these points, I'm not saying if he doesn't answer your prayer and heal somebody or do a miracle, one of these things must be the condition in your life. That is not what I'm saying. I'm helping us build a foundation for, hey, look, there are some things that we know we can try to improve that like, Jesus might want to work in. And we can have a scriptural understanding of things that Jesus doesn't do miracles for. The first one is Jesus didn't do miracles to prove himself. He didn't come to earth and use miracles as some apologetics for the reality of him being God and being who he was. He didn't perform them to prove himself. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like, there's plenty of times, especially as a kid, where I can remember like where my uncles or my dad or someone be like, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, yes, I can. And he's gonna, you're like going to step up and out of this pride and wanting to prove that you can do it. You, you do something. For me, I, I was the oldest of the kids of my generation, so I always had to try to impress my uncles. They're a little older than me. They're a little stronger than me until I was about 10 years old. But like this was something that I had to deal with, like always trying to prove myself. Growing up with a dad who was a coach, I always felt the need to prove myself, to perform. And I can identify with maybe that being one of the things like where we would pray for it also. Like, God, if you're real, why don't you show yourself? If you're real, do something right now. You say this, show up and prove it then. But God doesn't play like that. Sometimes I wish he did. It'd be a lot easier. Like, you could just call him to the table like, hey, if you're real, like, Prove yourself. In Mark's gospel, chapter 8, now this is right after Jesus feeds the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. A miracle, right after a miracle. It says this in verses 11 through 13. It says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven, and he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. The Pharisees came, and they began to question Jesus. But what was the motive of their heart in this case? They were trying to test him. Prove yourself. Are you really this? And they're asking him for a sign from heaven. Do something to prove that you are really the son of God. And Jesus sighed. You guys are making me crazy. What is the deal with you all wanting signs? What is with this generation? I'm not doing tricks for you. I'm not here to do tricks for you. Number one reason, Jesus doesn't do it just to prove himself. He doesn't do tricks. Number two, Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. 
This is important. He doesn't perform miracles if they interfere with God's ultimate plan. I'll show you an example in this story where he does a miracle in one moment and in the very next miracle he doesn't because it interferes with God's plan. Matthew 26, starting in verse 47. It says, While he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? You see, Judas betrays Jesus with this kiss on the cheek, indicating that he is the one that they're looking for so that they could come arrest him and take him to the cross. And Peter, he gets a little ticked off. He draws his sword. One could only imagine, like, was he just trying to get the guy's ear or was he going for the head and he's just a really bad shot because he didn't use his sword much? Who knows? The point of the story is he cuts off his ear. I just imagine this being a pandemonium, like, Oh my gosh, they're coming for Jesus. Peter's like, on guard, right? Slices off his ear. And now Jesus is like just sitting there calm, like, come on. Now I'm reading into this a little bit. I wasn't there. Um, But imagine like the ears rolling around. There's pandemonium. They're trying to arrest him. The disciples are doing whatever they do. And Jesus is just like, somebody find me the ear. Find me the ear. Bring it here. Just being calm because Jesus already knew what was about to happen. They give him the ear. He puts it back on his head in my name, right? How does he pray? In Jesus' name, in my name, be healed, his ear back on, and then he gives his spiel about, like, do you not think I could handle this? Like, I'm the son of God. I could call down 12 legions of angels. Do you not get it? it? But if I did that, if I did a miracle in that, what the scriptures desire to be, what needs to be fulfilled from the scriptures will not happen. He heals an ear and then lets himself be taken into custody, as it were, because it would have interfered with God's ultimate plan. Can he do miracles? Absolutely. He did one. And in the next moment, he was not there to interfere with God's plan. He was there to fulfill it. And the same continues today. Same continues today. Jesus doesn't do miracles to just prove himself. And he doesn't do them if they're going to have just a temporary earthly benefit at the cost of the eternal godly benefit if it interferes with God's plan. And the third is, Jesus didn't do miracles where there was no faith. We see this referenced a lot in in the New Testament. He doesn't do miracles where there's no faith. He went to his hometown. People weren't impressed with him. This is where Jesus grew up. They're all, that's little Jesus, little carpenter's, you know, boy, whatever. Like, they just didn't take him serious. Have you ever went back to your hometown and you're like, people don't take you serious now? Like knowing that you've made something for yourself and you've grown up and, you know, you're not who you used to be, but that's just still how they see you. Like they just didn't take him serious. They didn't have faith. Oh, that's just the son of Joseph. And the scriptures tell us that he didn't do miracles there because of their lack of faith in him. 
we have to understand that faith moves the heart of God. Faith moves the heart of God. Our faith matters to God. When you pray in faith, it touches the heart of God. Let me give you three examples really quick of this. First, there was a woman who couldn't stop bleeding for 12 years. You may know the story. She's embarrassed. She's in pain. She's ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And Jesus walks by, and she, in faith, just tries to get to a place where she can just reach out and touch his cloak, just to touch it, just to touch his garment, because she has faith that if I could just touch that, I would be healed. And she does. And Jesus feels the power leave, and he looks back, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, your faith has healed you. A man with leprosy falls at the feet of Jesus and worships him. Jesus looks at the man and says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. A blind man screams out, I can't see you, but I hear you. I know you're there. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Our faith moves the heart of God. Now, what, what's interesting to me is according to Scripture, there's only one thing that we have that ever amazes Jesus. There's only one thing that we have that amazes Jesus. Like, think of that, that term amaze, like, wow, right? When something amazes you, you're just, wow, oh my goodness. Like, what would it take for Jesus to exclaim that, like, Wow, that amazes me. We can look at all the Gospels, and he was only amazed by one thing. Do you know what amazes Jesus? Our faith amazes Jesus. Sometimes he's amazed like, wow, that, that, that was amazing. And then sometimes he's amazed by, like, is that all you got? <laughs> is, that, is that all you got? It can amaze in both ways. You don't believe I can do anything? Two different times, two different examples. For instance, a Roman centurion has a servant that's sick and says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Just say the word. You don't even have to see my servant. Just say the word. You don't have to touch my servant. You don't have to walk in that direction. I just believe that if you say the word, he will be healed. Jesus says the word, and he's healed. And Scripture says Jesus was amazed and said, I've never seen faith like this before. I've never seen faith like this before. And back in the hometown of Jesus where he was a prophet without honor, he looked on and said, I'm amazed that you don't believe that I can do anything. I'm amazed, he said, at their lack of faith. So he's amazed by the faith of the centurion and he's amazed at the lack of faith in his hometown. I'm curious when it comes to your faith, if Jesus were amazed, would it be like a, wow, amazed? Or would it be like a, uh, you, you don't believe I can do anything? Do you not believe that I have the power to do that? Like I, I rose from the grave. The, the tomb's still empty. Where, where is your level of faith? <clears throat> Even if you look at the prayers that you've prayed in the last week or the last month. What did you ask for? Was it big? Was it something that God needed to intervene in? Or was it like, God, bless my food and keep my family safe? Like, now, that could be a really big prayer for you if you're, you're new in this and you're trying to figure out what it looks like to, to pray to God and ask him for things. But do you have big faith that would amaze God when you pray, when you ask things of him? 
What do we do when we find that our faith is a little bit on the lower end? I believe we've all been there. What if we have more of that, like, eh, faith? Like, is that all? You don't believe that I can do that? Instead of that, wow, amazing faith. The good news is that faith amazes God, not faith at some predefined level of acceptance, not only earth-shattering faith, but faith amazes him. And Jesus is so encouraging when he says this. He says, if there's a mountain in your life, in other words, if there's something that needs to be moved that's so big that it's physically impossible for you to do, and you simply have the faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest little seed, and if you just have faith in my direction that moves my heart. In other words, your faith may sometimes be really strong, and there's other times when it's kind of strong. And then there's other times when it's just depleted, seemingly non-existent maybe, but there's just a little bit there like, God, I know you can, but gosh, I have not seen it for a long time. And God loves you enough to work with the faith you have. This is not a message of raise your faith level to where it's acceptable to God. This is a message of whatever you have, give it to him and see what he can perfect in your weakness. Mark 9, starting in verse 14, says this. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? I hope to not hear that. How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled out, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do, and if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I love this story in scripture. This dad is in agony because his son's hurting. If you've been a parent or ever been around kids, like nothing gets you like a kid that's in pain or struggling or being, being messed with, right? There's nothing that can hurt like something coming against your kiddo. And his son's in agony being thrown into fire and water by demons. Like It's a very vivid picture. And he's so desperate. He wants to believe that Jesus can help. But he doesn't want to get his hopes up just in case. And he's just going to him with, with a mustard seed of faith. Like, I believe you can. Or if you want to, right? That word if. Like his faith level's not, wow, faith. It's like, uh, if I can, Jesus even, even says that. He says, anything is possible for those who believe. And then the father has this moment of honesty that I believe God would love to hear from his kids in this room this morning. Help me with my unbelief. I believe, I want to believe. Help me with where there is unbelief deeply rooted in my heart so that I can know that you desire to do something and move in this 
situation. I do believe, but I'm human. I'm not perfect. Help me with my unbelief. Too many times I can identify with this father because I've prayed for people numerous times and I've got to see God move and his Holy Spirit heal people, but I've also seen it not happen in the now, in the immediate time. And people ask me, well, you're you're a pastor at church. You pray for someone. If they're not healed, doesn't that like shake your faith? Doesn't that rattle you? I say, absolutely not. Because after walking with God as long as I have, that doesn't rattle me because my faith is not based on what he does. My faith is based on who God is. It's not based on what he does in any given moment, whether or not he shows up like I think he should and like I tell him he should and I pray like he should. My faith is based in who God is. And so in a moment when what I think would be best doesn't happen, my paradigm of who God is is big enough to recognize that I am not the authority in that moment and I trust and believe that he has things taken care of. So no, it doesn't shake me. Do I get disappointed sometimes? Absolutely. Does it make me sad sometimes? Yes, because we live in a world that still has brokenness, that still has death and sickness in it. I hate it, and I believe God hates it, and he puts that in us, that we would hate it to the point where it would compel us to do something about it. And there's a few ways we can do something about it. We can share the hope that's found in Jesus with others, and we can pray for them to be healed right now. He gives us an opportunity to be a part of that because our faith isn't based on what he does in a moment. Our faith is based on what he did for us on the cross. It doesn't get any better than that. A God who becomes one of us and sends his son Jesus to shed blood so that our sins would be forgiven. Our faith isn't based on seeing the results of a miracle. Our faith is based on the character and the goodness of a God who sacrificed his son. We need to understand that when God sent Jesus, the highest purpose of Jesus coming was not to heal our bodies. It was to save our souls. The highest purpose of him sending his son was not just to heal our bodies. It was to save our souls. I'm not saying that he doesn't heal our bodies. I'm not saying that God wouldn't delight to see people healed now. But his highest purpose, it says, I've come that they would have life and life more abundantly. I've come to seek and save the lost. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. I came to give my life as a ransom. His highest purpose isn't to heal our bodies. It's to save our souls. I'll show it to you really quick in Mark chapter 2. It says, a few days later when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. 
This guy finally gets his way into Jesus, to this Bible study, whatever's going on. He finally gets in there. And the first thing Jesus says is, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, get up and walk, be healed in your body, and then go and sin no more. Now, he said things like this. But in this instance, he forgives the sins, and then he heals his body. Because his highest calling is not to heal our bodies. It's to save our souls. Here's a little spoiler alert. If God heals you of cancer, you're still going to die. You're still going to die eventually. So getting your heart and soul right with him, sinning no more, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is much more important than just temporarily being relieved of this sickness so that you can extend your time on earth. Praise God for when he does heal people of cancer and when he extends people's time on earth. But his ultimate purpose is to save our souls not heal our bodies. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Next time Lazarus died, though, he was on his own. You're still going to die because the highest purpose isn't what happens to your body for 70 to 80 years on earth. Your highest purpose is that your life would glorify God. So when I pray, I pray with every bit of faith I have, whether it's a mustard seed or a truckload, I give it all. Pray with every bit of faith I have. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. But I'm bringing my imperfect faith before a perfect God. I believe God can and I believe he will. And even if he doesn't do what I think he should, my faith is based on who he is, not what he does in a moment. So as we close, I want to give you a chance to join with me in believing that God would do miracles in our midst today. I want to give you a chance for this. This is a little different, but what better way to end our time in this place where so many people's lives have been transformed, where we've seen people healed physically, emotionally, spiritually, where we've seen God move for three and a half years than to finish our time here believing that he will show up again. Now, we're not going to make this weird. We're not going to get all, all goofy about this. But what I do believe is that when two or three come together in his name and pray and combine our faith for something, believing that God can work and move, that he delights to show up in that. What's it going to look like? What's he going to do? I don't know. He's God. My faith isn't based on how he shows up in this moment. It's based on who he is. But I do know that God can heal us physically. If there's somebody in here that's having back issues or, or leg issues or, or something physically, that he can heal that. I believe that there's some of us in here who have relational and emotional issues where you've been hurt, you've been abused, somebody's done something to you, and that's still something that hasn't been resolved, that you need healed of that. I believe that God can and desires to heal those things. I believe that even as some of us maybe don't have even a mustard seed of faith because we've been beaten down and too many of the lies of this world and the people around have convinced us that God doesn't exist and that our paradigm of who he is is broken. I believe he would even love to heal that here this morning. So what we're going to do is in a second, if you fall in one of those categories, you need physical healing, someone that you love and you know needs healed physically. If you have some emotional or spiritual or relational healing that you want to believe God to do, I'm just going to ask you to stand up and we're going to pray for you. Not one by one, I'm not going to call you out, but I'm just going to pray the people around you. I'm just going to lay a hand on you as a, as a way of engaging in this moment and what God wants to do. And we're going to believe that he's going to show up and he might even show off because he's God. And in this moment, he wants you to know that he's good, that he loves you, 
And you can expect him to do miraculous things in this world. Not so that that person praying gets credit or glorified, but so that he gets the glory. And his character is edified in that time. So stand up. If you have physical healing or a loved one or someone that you know needs physically healed, stand up. If there's relationships that that need healed in your life that you want to believe God to do, if you have some sort of emotional or spiritual thing that needs dealt with, please don't be shy and stand up and we're going to pray for you (coughs) as we close off. Thank you, Patty. Stand up. Please don't be shy. This is family. This is family. If you have anything, let's believe that God can and will do something here this morning and that he will get the glory for that. If you're near one of these people, stand up. Just either extend your hand or lay a hand on their shoulder and uh, I'm going to pray for us as we close. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are good and that you love us and that you are a miracle working God. I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who indwells in us and empowers us to extend your mission here on earth, to accomplish your purpose for your people, your kids, to set captives free from whatever may be uh, holding us in bondage and to heal us physically, internally, emotionally, to heal relationships. So right now, Dad, I pray in Jesus' name that you would be healing bodies right now, Dad. I pray for anybody that has back pain that you would touch that right now in Jesus' name and that you would heal that. I pray for people that have been having headaches that they just can't get the pain out of their head and maybe they try to tell themselves, oh, I just need to get hydrated. I need more rest and it won't go away. God, in Jesus' name, would you heal that and restore function in bodies in this room, Dad. For people who have broken relationships where maybe they're just scared to engage in relationships that once were important to them, that you would bring restoration to those in the name of Jesus, that you would heal them in a mighty way, Father. I pray for spiritual and emotional healings to take place in this room right now, Dad. We know that you are bigger than our circumstances here on earth, and we know that you came to set captives free. So would you do that right now in Jesus' name? We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are alive and well and that you have chosen us to work through to accomplish your purposes here on earth as in heaven. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and thank you for this community that you have given us to walk out becoming more and more like Jesus in. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.